Ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Barry. And, Brett, about this time last week, we were talking about Arizona baseball in the NCAA tournament. They were a surprise run. They finished the season strong. They made it. And we thought, oh, okay, you know, with their offense, they could make a deep run. They're a scary team. But with their pitching, they're a little bit less scary. Well, the offense didn't show up. The pitching was the pitching. And Arizona was two and out. So, yep, that's it. Yeah, they kind of went out with a whimper, despite our our takes that nobody wanted to face them uh, going into the offseason. But, you know, here we are. It was a fun thing to be able to get in there, but it didn't work out the way we wanted. And so long, uh, Dave Lawn, by the way. Yeah, that was a change that was made. And, you know, it's when you look back at this season, obviously the second year for Chip Hale, and they made the tournament. That's always the goal. The actual goal, though, is to make a deep run and get to the World Series and win. Of course, it's Arizona baseball. You have high expectations for them. Um, but it didn't happen, and you figure some moves have to be made. And Dave Lawn was an easy one. He was the pitching coach, and the pitching was terrible. So <laughs> that it would have been hard to retain him. And I like that Hale didn't necessarily – I mean, loyalty is a big thing, but like – Loyalty to the program, right? Not to individual coach, not right. to individual people. So the loyalty to Arizona baseball dictated that he had to make a move. And I know the reports are out that they found a guy from Boston College who comes pretty highly regarded, um, Kevin Vance. So, yeah, it's it's interesting for Chip Hale because you know me, Brett. We've talked about it on the show before. I wasn't sold on him as the guy when they hired him. And two years later, I'm still not entirely sold on him. I think he did a lot of winning with Jay Johnson's players. Not to say Chip Hill doesn't deserve credit, because he does. You know, Mason White, one of his guys. Kiko Romero, one of his guys, right? And he kept this team in it all season long. They battled. They went through their double-digit losing streak, played well at the end of the season, came together, stuck together, and made it to the tournament. So the coach, Chip Hill, he deserves a lot of credit for that. But at the same time, if you want better. You need better. Yeah, uh, what was it? A five point nine seven ERA for the season. That's just not. That's just not going to cut it, right? <laughs> um, you know, and we, you know, we know that it's as we talked with Michael Lev. It's it's you know, pitching is struggling across all of college baseball. But that's you know, if you're giving up that many runs and and Arizona just it it, it was a recurring problem. And, the, and I think we talked about it a few times on the pod too of like some of the recession it seemed like on guys that looked like and like major league talent pitching uh, that have gotten worse. Not yeah, better. Nichols being one of them. Yeah, yeah he's specifically who, who comes to mind. Um, you know, it's, you don't want to see somebody, you know, you don't root for people to get fired, or at least I don't, but like, no, no, never. It's, it's a results-based business. And yeah, Boston College, it's Kevin Vance. I don't, you know, claim to know anything about him, but he's 32 years old and seems like a, an up-and-comer and, you know, let's maybe maybe uh maybe chip hale's recruiting starts with uh hiring the right coaches yeah and that's the question for chip hale right the biggest doubt is never that he knows baseball because he knows baseball and it's not that he can motivate guys because clearly he can right people like chip hale he's a really good dude he bleeds arizona red and blue so like you want him to succeed but the question is can he recruit and that's going to be the thing going forward because yes as jay johnson's players age out, go to the Major League Baseball draft or transfer, whatever has happened over the last couple of years, it becomes Chip Hale's team, right? There's no more Chase Davises. Now, granted, Chase Davis excelled under Chip Hale. His had two great seasons under the new coach staff. He didn't do much in Jay Johnson's last season. So Chip deserves credit for getting Arizona to where they got to. But at the same time, that's not, you know, that doesn't make it a successful season. Like the way this season turned out or was going, yes, making the turn was like, oh, wow, okay, great. But getting bounced after two games and not looking good in either of them, that's horribly disappointing. And it puts, I don't want to say it puts pressure on Chip, like next season is like a do or die type thing. I think he gets at least next season and then the one after, no matter what happens. But there is, you know, there is reason to have doubt. There is reason to be worried. 
But there's also reason to be satisfied with the way the season worked out. You know, the way it finished, like they made the tournament yeah. for third year in a row, second time under Chip Hale. It's only the first, it's the first time it's happened. They made the tournament three straight years since like 2010 to 2012. So it could have been a lot worse. It needs to be a lot better. Is that fair? Yeah. And, you know, next year and this upcoming off season is going to be, it's going to be very uh, telling about the direction of the program and the, the, and the likelihood of Chip Hale's tenure as head coach. Right. You know, like I think he probably has a bit of, uh, you know, a runway. I'm not sure he has two more years guaranteed. Like, like you just suggested, I think he just for sure has next year. Right. But if it's a complete disaster, that's, that's a problem. I don't think it will be that. Um, but also if you, if you take more than a half step back, you know, that that's when, that's when the, the, the long knives start coming out and the donors start whispering in Dave Hickey's ear. Right. Yeah. Well, I, the reason I give him two years is because you're not, you're not getting rid of him after this past season, which no. means he gets next season. If things aren't great next season, then it's like, okay, that's one bad year after two pretty decent years or okay years. Like that's not enough to get rid of him unless a total collapse, right? Like something like, or John McAvickian type, you know, something like that happens. And I don't think it will with uh, Chip Hale, but you know, again, this isn't to trash on Chip Hale. I think he did a pretty good job with what he had this season, especially with the way things are going in and places where he's supposed to be strong. He's proven to be strong. It's just a matter of can he excel in the places people are concerned about. And we're going to find out because they do lose a lot from this past team. Like they were a team that relied on their offense, relied on their bats, and they're losing the majority of them. I think like up to like possibly five of their starting lineup, five of their lineup is going to be gone. You know, their best players are most likely gone. Like Mason White was a good find. He's going to be a good player for them. But when you lose Chase Davis, you lose Tony Bullard, you lose Michael Vosley, like you lose so many guys that you relied on. We'll see. Like that's college sports. You have to replace them. Mm-hmm. Can he do it? We'll find out. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting off season, Adam. Yeah, it, it definitely will be. Um, I guess we don't know if we, we don't know if we expect it to start so soon, but you know, it it did. So, it happens. It happens. Um, Brett, let's have a little a short first segment here because you know we're gonna talk some basketball, Arizona basketball. Obviously, the roster is mostly complete. It looks like we know who there's gonna. Who's going to make up Tommy Lloyd's third team in Arizona? But to talk about their work in the transfer portal and just what they've done to build this roster, we're going to talk to Evan Miyakawa of EvanMia.com. He's a very he's a statistician. He's a numbers guy. Has an algorithm that kind of ranks the transfers. And you might be surprised as where he has Arizona's transfer hall. But at the same time, he'll tell you why that is. So let's talk to Evan after the break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We're back. It's Wildcat Radio 2.0. We are joined by Evan Miyakawa, who, well, if you haven't seen him, I saw him on Twitter. All people were sharing his stuff about the transfer portal rankings and everything like that. And you look at he has an algorithm, a system that comes out with just how good are these players? How good are these rosters? How good are the transfer portal hall? I'm like, told him, I'm like, we got to get this guy on because that's so interesting. So, Evan, welcome to Wildcat Radio 2.0. Glad to be here, guys. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, of course. And we're happy to get you now because Arizona's basketball roster looks mostly complete now. Obviously, there's a couple of international players who haven't necessarily made it over officially or whatever, but the transfer portal hall, Jaden Bradley, Kashad Johnson, Caleb Love is in place. There's a lot of excitement has now been built in Tucson about what Tommy Lloyd has done. You look at your system, your numbers. I saw you posted even today on Twitter that Arizona is outside the top 10. You have them as the 14th ranked for the incoming transfer class. If I'm an Arizona fan, I'm saying 14th ranked. They got Jaden Bradley, Kayla Love, and Kashad Johnson. How are there 13 teams that did better? Can you tell us kind of how you got to this? I don't say you, because obviously it's not, you're not the computer, you're not the algorithm, but how did this number come up? For sure. So there's obviously uh, more than just my system for ranking transfers, high school recruits, all that good stuff. But um, basically what I take in mind when I make my transfer class rankings is I have a player impact or value metric called Bayesian performance rating, which basically encapsulates everything about a player's play and how valuable they are going to be for their team on offense and defense. And it accounts for, um, opponent strength and all of these other factors. 
And then I use these basically to get projections for each transfer's impact for the following year, kind of regardless of what team they're going to play for. So when you put all that together, you basically get a um, evaluation of each player. And then you can combine those for each team to get an assessment of how good their incoming transfers are, uh, how good the ones that left are, and an overall assessment of their transfer activity. So when you look at a team like Arizona, um, you know, typically to have like a top five incoming transfer class, you're probably going to have to have at least one or two top 15, top 20 transfers in the country. And when you look at the the star power of the guys that Arizona's get, I think Caleb Love is definitely the most well-known guy. Uh, but my system has him as the 71st best uh, transfer in the portal this year, which is still really good. Uh, he's a five-star transfer according to my five-star ranking system. But there are plenty of guys ahead of him. And when you look at some of the teams at the top of that list, uh, Florida is number one in the incoming transfer class rank. Kansas, number two. They got Hunter Dickinson. Uh, you have other teams like West Virginia, who's brought in a lot of players, including Kirk Reese. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you look at those teams and you kind of look at um, all the pieces they brought in and how good those are, according to this analytics system, that's kind of why they're a little bit ahead of Arizona. That said, typically, you know, just having a good transfer class does not unequivocally mean that your team's going to be good the next season. Because if the rest of your roster stinks, it doesn't really matter. So it's as much about the, the pieces you're bringing in and the players you have returning. And that's one of Arizona's strengths is I think they have a better returning core when you look at their top two or three players that are going to be playing next season that they've retained compared to some of these other teams. Well, and Evan, you know, you, you're, you're already kind of led into what I was going to follow up with my question here. It's, it's you know, your your stats seem to interestingly indicate that Jaden Bradley is actually a much higher value all-around player, which I think we've talked about a little bit that that may be the case, just, you know, but we're, we're not an algorithm, but, you know, your, your, your uh, algorithm also loves Arizona's roster. But correct me if I'm wrong, it does not necessarily take into, a, into account how those pieces fit together. It's more of a sum of the parts rather than, than uh, you, you know the how they how they complement each other is that is that a fair framing? Yeah, I think that's fair. When I end up doing preseason team projections each you know October when that ends up coming out, there's a little bit more of that involved in terms of team chemistry. You know, how strong are you one to five? How good is your bench? Um, you know, the chemistry that might be be between different um, players, things like that. But when purely evaluating transfer class, it's just based on the individual player strength alone. So when you look at this Arizona roster then, because like you said, it's the roster as a whole looks pretty strong with these transfers. Like they weren't relying on transfers to build a good roster. You know, you, I see the numbers here. It's pretty high on Umar Balo, right? It's actually, re, your system is really high on Umar Balo, Kylan Boswell, Pella Larson. If you told me that those three are going to be the you know most key guys for Arizona next season, I don't think, if you told anybody that, they're not going to be like, what, what are you talking about? Those are three returners, three guys who have high expectations. But what is it about maybe those guys, maybe especially Umar Balo, who was good last season, wore down towards the end of the year and was hurt in the NCAA tournament. But you know, what is it about him that your system goes, that guy, he's the guy? Absolutely. So in a for a player like Umar Balo, the types of factors that are a part of this projection for an upcoming season, and it is a projection, it's not a... This is for sure how good this player is going to be. There's a wide range of possibilities. And for some players, there's more variability in how good they can be than others. So for example, Caleb Love, there's a pretty large scale. Like you kind of know what he's going to be, but because of how ball dominant he is, there's a chance he can be really, really good or really, really bad, right? So the overall player projection is kind of the middle ground of that, that possible range of outcomes, right? So for a guy like Umar Balo. Uh, there's several factors that, that come into this. One is how well he's performed in previous seasons. Obviously, more recent seasons are more important because that's going to be more closely correlated with how a player performs in the next season. But all the seasons are taken into account. You also look at, uh, especially for guys who are younger, how good they were coming out of high school, their overall high school recruiting profile, because that does carry um, a lot of weight in terms of how much players grow or if they've reached their potential a guy like Jaden Bradley is a great example of that. Um, he was just a freshman last year at Alabama, but he was a five-star coming out of high school. So that shows that there's a lot of potential there that's um, potentially untapped. 
So for a guy like Umar Balo, when you look at both how good he was last year, I mean, especially the first half of the season, he was so incredibly efficient, both in terms of how he scored, um, how he dominated on the boards. And so that if if he's going to keep up those efficiency numbers, he also has, he was a four-star recruit out of high school. So that's another factor pointing to his ceiling. When you put all of those factors together, um, I, I think I evaluate him as having a like, really, really high offensive grade, and the defense is a slightly below that. But still, all things considered, I think he'll probably end up being in the top 30 players next season uh, before the season starts in terms of overall projected impact. So, Evan, you know, you, you kind of talked about how one of those data points for, you know, let's just call it upside or potential is those high school rankings. You know, one of the challenges, I think, when you're trying to understand Tommy Lloyd and, and constructing his roster you know, I see in, in, in what uh, Adam shared with me beforehand in your portal report, like two of the international commits that uh, one is fully signed and the, and one is not yet, are not considered yet. But even a guy like Henry Basar, right? He's a guy that uh, it's it's hard to get a gauge on some of these European guys as to what the upside is. And I think there's just, it's a, it's a, it's a lack of data out there. And, you know, he's probably a, one of those guys that I think would be a high variable uh, outcome and pretty much any of the European guys. Can you talk a little bit about how your 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 model considers the Euro guys when it comes to the potential and and season to season development? For sure, yeah, that's an interesting one. I haven't gone into a specific study on how overseas players develop, kind of compared to American players or Canadians or anyone who's kind of more from this area. In general, when a guy is starting out in college in the states, the 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 only data point that I typically consider besides physical metrics, is their, how they were ranked by the uh, consensus recruiting uh, services. Partly because it is really hard to evaluate high school stats because of the different levels of competition. It's just a nightmare. And so the best thing that you have that's kind of equal ground for everybody is these high school recruiting services, which are very flawed. Like they're often wrong. And when you look at even some of the top 10, 15 guys each year that come into college, about only half of them end up being really good. Um, I did a study on this before the beginning of last season. And basically, you look at the top 20, 25 players each season, and you kind of look at how good they ended up being at the end of their freshman season. And it's really hit or miss. You have some guys who end up being great, all-American status, and you have other guys who we just kind of forget about two or three years later because they were kind of irrelevant. So when you have high school recruits coming from overseas, especially who aren't five stars coming in, there's just really not a lot of faith based on the the numbers that those types of players have demonstrated over the season to for sure be able to pick out one guy and say, he's going to be amazing, right? So you really kind of have to demonstrate in a given season that you're able to play at a high level. And then going forward, it's much easier for the projection system to pick up on that and to have faith in that player going forward. So, so would it would it be safe to say, given Arizona's, uh, shall we say, Euro flavor, that their roster uh, is more of a, a a known unknown in that regard? Because, like, you, you know, you you have a sense of what you're getting with Jaden Bradley, Shaw Johnson, but you don't know as much, even with the guys that are on the roster that didn't see a lot of minutes or were very raw. Yeah, especially when you throw in Tommy Lloyd as a variable there. I think if these players were on a different team with a coach who wasn't as experienced with dealing with players from overseas, there would be even more question marks. So in a way, there's a good chance that my system is actually underrating these guys somewhat because of the coaching factor specifically in Tommy Lloyd's skill set with developing players like this. So there's a good chance that actually they should be slightly higher than that. It's really hard to account for all of those variables, but that's certainly an important part for Arizona. We are talking to Evan Miyakawa here. He does EvanMia.com. He's a statistician, data. I think these are tough words for me to say. I don't know why. Statistician, data scientist. He's seen his work all over and everything. He has these algorithms. I guess we talked a lot about this. I'm curious, and you've kind of talked a little bit. What goes into this? It's like the numbers, like what are you putting in there? What's the weight that's being assigned to certain things? Because you mentioned things like the recruiting rankings. You mentioned things like previous stats, especially recent seasons. But how do these numbers, like what, how do you build your stats? How do you build these rankings? So for this player metric that basically encapsulates all of a player's impact, there's basically three different stages to this. The first is, as I mentioned, getting a preseason projection for a player. So that includes their high school info, previous stats from previous years, how they performed on the court, 
those types of things. And you kind of get a more stable estimate of a player to start the season uh, as opposed to everyone starting from, you know, basically a zero value, right? The second piece is as the season is going along, you can learn a lot about a player through their individual efficiency numbers. So basically their box score stats, advanced stats, things that tell you about how efficient a shooter they are, um, you know, their, their impact in terms of playmaking, assists to turnovers, things like that. All the different factors, they can give us an, some information about a player's impact just based on their own individual numbers. So all those things then kind of get combined to have this, this overall indication of a player's um, impact. But then the final piece is you look at how well the team actually performed while they were on the floor for every single possession that they played during a season. And this basically adjusts for not just the overall team's strength that the team faced, but individual players they were on the court against. So for example, if you have a player who is always matched up against the opposition's best star player, he's going to get more credit on defense than another player who goes in at the end of a game and only plays against scrubs. It also adjusts for teammates you play with too. So if you're always on the floor with your best player um, versus always carrying the team because you're playing with a weaker unit, it adjusts for those things as well. So basically it takes all these factors, high school information, individual box score efficiency, and then how well a team played on the floor. All of these things kind of go into getting a one offensive and defensive number that represents a player's um, value over an average player in college against an average D1 opponent. And that's what goes into the offensive BPR, defensive BPR, and then those sum up to one whole number to basically be the best one number summation of a player's value during a season. So, so based on that description, I feel like a, it would be really interesting to double click into a guy like Caleb Love, right? Playing if it likes Cole. efficiency, then I can see why it's down well, on him. It, but even in the sense of if it is in fact adjusting for the players he was playing with, uh, UNC underperformed and that contributed to some of his ball dominance. Um, and, you know, perhaps the teams in the Pac-12 are... 10 uh, soon enough will not be the same kind of level as the, as the ACC. Uh, I feel like, is that, is that a fair thing to say that he might be one of the most interesting ones to double click into there? And then I think you even mentioned alluded to before the, the additional variable there that makes him a, probably a bigger outcome range question is how does he fit in a Tommy Lloyd system that may, you know, fundamentally change how he operates as a player. Yeah, definitely changing teams always adds an ounce of variability compared to if a player played with the same team in the same system. The thing with Caleb Love is for any good player, the box score stats can be helpful, but ultimately what's most important about a player is when they're on the floor, you're increasing a team's chance of winning, right? So typically if you have a star player or a really impactful player, whether they're scoring a lot or scoring a little, when they are on the floor, the team should be playing at a higher level than when they're not, right? So for a guy like Caleb Love, when you look at, first of all, his individual numbers, uh, not just in terms of his overall points per game, because those are really good. Last year, he averaged almost 17 points a game. But when you look at his actual shooting efficiency, he only shot 38% from the field, just about 30% from three. He had almost as many turnovers as assists. So those already, it's not a great starting point for saying that this guy is leading to high quality possessions for his team. Then you flip the page and you look at, okay, well, let's say that he's you know kind of inefficient, but he's really creating good looks for his teammates and the team is excelling on the floor. And when you look at that piece as well, it, it wasn't really the case uh, the last two seasons for North Carolina. It's not like it's really bad, but you know sometimes a player can override a little bit uh, weak, weak stats if you see that the team is really excelling with that player on the floor. And you see a lot of glue guys uh, in the league or in college who kind of do something like that. So an example of that would be um, a guy like uh, Anton Watson for Gonzaga. His stats are really efficient, but also when he's on the floor, Gonzaga plays at such a higher level than when he's not. That tells you something about the value of that player, even beyond his own stats. So for a guy like Caleb Love, that's definitely a worry there. Um one big factor, though, is the volume of shots that he was taking, right? When you're taking so many shots, you're you're going to shoot slightly less um, well from the field. So if he's being used correctly, hopefully there's not as much weight on him to take all of those shots. 
Therefore, his looks can be better. He can facilitate better. There's not as much pressure on him. And when you look at the pieces that Arizona has for next season, hopefully that's something that they can kind of do to have him reach more of his ceiling than be, you know, forced to chuck up the ball all the time or, you know, that sort of thing. So, Evan, the numbers here are great, obviously, and we know their projections. We know projections don't always work out, but that's the beauty of them, right? We're not going to hold them, hold you to it. If something goes wrong, we're not going to bring you back on this show and be like, hey, what happened here? Why were you so wrong? But, you know, Brett did mention it earlier about how it can't necessarily account for the change in system. It can't ach- account for the change in coaches. So I think for someone like Caleb Love, who going from North Carolina and Hubert Davis, which maybe that was holding him back a little bit, now coming to Arizona with Tommy Lloyd, I guess that's kind of the case in the era of the transfer portal, though, right? Because you can have the history of a lot of these players for what, like how many players transfer per year, but it can't account for their new environment, their new coaches. Does that make this more fun for you? Does it make it more stressful for you doing this? Like how do, how do you kind of manage that with regards to EvanMia.com? Yeah, I, I definitely see it as a challenge, but I'm not overwhelmed by it just because anyone's predictions preseason, no matter how much you know ball, are going to be wrong in a lot of things, well, right? Not ours. Like, not on Wildcat Radio 2.0. We've, we've never missed. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like you said, uh, there are so many different variables that are changing season to season that there can be a lot of factors that are hard to mit- or to, to get. And so, yeah, for, for transfers, because of how much movement there is, really the best that you can do is just kind of have a good evaluation of adjusting for the... Um, talent level that a, a player is playing with and is playing against and trying to adjust that if a player is going to a new team there can be other factors like does a player play well in a system that's fast paced versus slow paced um, you can quantify things like you know does this player play well in a system that um, is more fast fast break prone or more half court but even those things there can be so much noise involved with that that it's not really going to massively make a difference in uh, a player's overall like projection for moving from one team to the next. So with that said, there are a lot of things that really do rely on the coaching staff, the system, um, how they're trying to employ players. So my hope for a player like Caleb Love would be that the staff would try to reinvent him a little bit to make him fit better into their system, to try and stay away from more of his weaknesses and hone in on his strengths that he can be a big piece for them um, without being too heavily relied on and ending up putting up, you know, less efficient numbers kind of like he did at North Carolina. So you mentioned, you know, kind of uh, working through the noise and accounting for that in some extent. So for, for uh, in terms of your model, how do you mathematically account for related to noise, you know, narrative of message boards and Twitter and national media? Because I love those things. <laughs> Uh, the only thing that I've ever baked into my model is penalizing a player for um, if he is uh, pulled over drunk in the back of a car driven by the coach's son, uh, which happened to <laughs> one player once at Duke. Other than that, I don't account for any Twitter headlines at all. Um, so w- one of the things that I love about the fact that I, when I put out something on Twitter or put up an article that's talking about you know a list of players and ranking them or teams or whatever is that this actually is not technically my own opinion. It is a objective data model. And there are plenty of uh, players or teams that I look at the the way that I have them sorted and I think, eh, I'm not so sure about that. But the reality is you can never be correct on them. So it's okay to even know some of the weaknesses of my own model. In fact, it's a good, it's a good exercise for me. So in that sense, I just kind of take it with a grain of salt. You almost have to, right? I mean, you doing this, obviously, people like us can see this, like, wow, this is really impressive. And it's a data point for us as we talk about and try to analyze this team and what Tommy Light's put together. And at the end of the day, like we talked a lot about Tommy or about Caleb Love here in the transfer class, but at the end of the day, your models have Arizona looking pretty good going to this next season, right? I mean, that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I haven't calculated yet the current uh, preseason team projections, but they're definitely going to be really high, I think kind of looking at what I've seen for uh, their roster in terms of how the individual players are projected to perform. Um, you know, I think it's going to shape up to be pretty good. And I, I, will that include incoming uh, uh, freshman like KJ Lewis? Like I didn't see that in the initial roster. And, that, you know, I think he's another wild card when it comes, it comes to this Arizona roster next year. 
Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I haven't done the the, fran- the freshman uh, projections yet, partly because they're still, for some of the 2023 class, some fluidity with guys committing and decommitting and things like that. So I wait till September or October to put those pieces together to then get the final team evaluation, but that's going to be included as well. Oh, so what I'm hearing now is we're going to have to get you back on in a few months then because see what Arizona's actually, you know, fully, the picture fully, because we know transfer portal, like the veterans are in the fold now, Arizona, and we know who the freshmen are going to be for the most part, all like Brett mentioned earlier, all but like one is official. But yeah, I guess the the season when it comes to trying to put rosters together and project them, it seems to get longer and longer as recruitments are drawn out, as portals are drawn out. Well, like Michigan, I think today as we're recording, picked up a transfer from Tennessee, who Arizona was linked to at one time. So like you can't really rush into something like this. You just got to give it time, right? Until everything can be put into place and then put the numbers in and whatever comes out, comes out. Yeah, it's you pretty much have to wait until rosters are finalized in October to really have the most stable estimate of how good a team's going to be. What fun. Like, I mean, I, I like this stuff, right? And not because it's like, this is how it's going to be, but because it's it's a nice way, to, a neat way to look at things where, you know, we're watching a game, we read a box score, but this goes beyond all that, you know, because our eyes can betray us, of course. You know, our biases can betray us when we're analyzing players or trying to evaluate a team. But generally speaking the data won't, right? Whatever it comes out, you said, like, you might look at me like, wait, why is it doing this? I think it's different, but it doesn't matter what we think, right? It matters what this puts out. And this puts out an unbiased look at just, here's the algorithm and here's how these players, you know, are predicted to do. Here's how teams are predicted to do. Like, is that, I mean, that, that's fun for me. I know if, I think Brett enjoys it. I imagine you enjoy it. I hope you enjoy it, Evan, because you do all this. Yeah, with that with that comment, I hey Evan, where did uh, did I see one of your tweets? Uh, who is the number three offensive rated player in the portal for our Arizona fan listeners? Uh, I think you're probably referring to Kirk Risa. Yep, that uh, you know that's that darn data thing versus narrative that I think some Arizona fans are will struggle to swallow that pill, but that's what the numbers say. <laughs> yep, absolutely. I think the thing with Kerr is, you know, he got a lot of attention for not just his playmaking style, but also his energy and, um, you know, antics, if you want to call it that. Um, but when you look at the way that he um, facilitated offensively, um, you know, he took a large volume of shots from three and made close to 40% of them. And he also provided a lot for teammates without turning the ball over that much. You could probably point to start big moments of the season and maybe say, you know, in this key moment, he let the team down. But when you look at the summation of his performance, kind of across the board, adjusting for opponent strength and looking at how he's going to play for Arizona or whoever else, he's still evaluated really well in the offensive end. Is the is a headband wearing a positive or negative adjustment in your model? Uh, I haven't looked at that yet, but I probably should. <laughs> well, I, I, we're going to let you go, but I think we need to let you leave on something positive for Arizona fans because now Brett had you praising a player who left. So, <laughs> Evan, before we let you go, Evan Miyakawa, EvanMia.com, give us something nice or give Arizona fans something to look forward to based on your model here, just because we want them to enjoy your time on the show and hope that they don't get mad at us for bringing you back again later on. Well, uh, we touched on Jaden Bradley a bit earlier, but I think that uh, he deserves another mention here. I have him as the um, the best transfer in terms of projected impact for Arizona, higher than Caleb Love, higher than Keishad Johnson. Uh, part of that is because he was a five-star high school recruit, so that points to um, his um, high ceiling that he has. He played 20 minutes per game on a really good Alabama team, Um, he had, you know, about six assists per 40, which for a team, uh, you know, playing 20 minutes a game, that's a really good sign of his playmaking. Um, he gets an A grade on offense and defense for, um, kind of compared to other transfers in the portal and, uh, his projected defensive impact per his, uh, defensive BPR, uh, would have finished second on Arizona last season. So that's a massive upgrade on a guy like Kirk Risa, who did have some defensive, issues um so i think he's gonna be a big piece for them i hope that his playing time isn't diminished with the um you know arrival of caleb love but that they can kind of play in tandem because i do think there's a lot of potential there um and i would love to see him you know have a big role in this offense perfect i think that's what we needed 
Arizona fans, there you go. That's Evan Miyakawa, evanmia.com. You can find us on Twitter at Evan Mia. You can find his site again, evanmia.com. We appreciate the time, Evan. This was great. Like such a fun look at what Arizona could be this upcoming season, especially with the transfer class they brought in. So we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. All right. That's Evan Miyakawa. And we come back. A lot's happened with Arizona athletics. So that's Evan Miyakawa. Thanks again to him for that great insight because, you know, Brett, like we all watch things. We watch a lot of Arizona, obviously. I don't think we watch a lot of Kashad John or Jaden Bradley or Caleb Love. Oh, those guys were on you know, national TV quite a bit this past season. <laughs> but, you know, there's the eye test and there's what they do by the numbers. And the numbers don't lie. So I love getting that perspective. And, you know, it's not that I don't think he's his system isn't down on Arizona's transfer hall. You know, it just doesn't know what to make of certain guys like a Caleb Love moving to a new system. And that that's makes sense because I don't think anyone really knows what to make of him moving to a new system. So, you know, it's going to be fun. Yeah. I mean, numbers, numbers don't, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say that numbers don't lie because they can be misinterpreted or, or oh, mislead absolutely. people. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the most fascinating thing is, you know, some of the stuff we had in that conversation is how do these pieces fit together and are they better than the sum of what the model says their parts are worth, right? And that's that's Tommy Lloyd's hopefully strength as a basketball coach and, uh, you know, putting guys in the best situation to, you know, get the most out of their talent and complement each other. Um, and also just the nature of a Tommy Lloyd roster, some of these Euro guys, you just don't know where they're going to be. Is Henry Vesar going to be borderline useless on the court or is he going to take a major leap and be a borderline NBA player, right? We just don't or know. Or something in between this next yeah. season, yeah. yeah is and Billy we, B going to play a role Yeah, as a that, the range of three, yeah. And the and the the you know, uh, Crevas and Big Paul as I call him, um, you know, we don't know what those guys are going to be like until they get on campus. Like Larry Marketing, we didn't know how good he was going to be when he came over, right? Yeah, uh, there was early indications that like, oh, he might be pretty good that you heard rumblings of, but you just don't know. Um, but it's it's interesting to still see the numbers there, especially as it relates to Jaden Bradley, who you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you and I maybe it, is it wish casting where we're like, hey, well, who needs them hard? We got Jaden Bradley. Maybe he's a better fit. And, you know, I there's think a high ceiling there. There's the, the guy was a five star, you know, point guard a year ago for a reason, guys. Um, played real minutes on probably the best team in the country. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's it's a really interesting perspective. I'm really curious to see uh, as he as it gets closer to the season, he incorporates all those those other data points and the how they fit together in the and the new guys and kj lewis uh but overall you feel you feel pretty good about the roster overall even if I there's feel not really a, good about it. i feel really good about the roster overall you know there's i don't know if there's i don't know if there's a single nba star on that roster but it's a really good college roster i think with a lot of a, a pretty high floor and a really high ceiling i said last week especially with caleb love i don't think this roster is missing anything you know, it has point guards, it has depth, it has size, it has athleticism, it has that dog mentality that you're always looking for with certain players. Like maybe the one thing that you look for more of is three point shooting, like consistent three point shooting. And I don't know where that comes from. Um, but at the same time, they're gonna get open looks. Like it's Tommy Lloyd's office, they're gonna get open looks from three and hopefully they can shoot a pretty high percentage, or at least a high enough percentage with what else they have. But yeah. I'm excited for basketball season. <laughs> it's going to be I mean, men and women. They're both going to, I think, have rosters that might be better than what we've seen recently. And, you know, the chance of them doing damage is once again real. Uh, but we got some news and notes. What, what do we want to talk about? What do we want to get into? Like, I mean, it's it's a Jed Fish offseason, man. I always like to talk about that. Uh, let's start there. What do you got? Well, how about uh, one of the few uh, poly players who I know how to pronounce the last name, the commit they got, Tui Alamaka. Uh, very, very, very large human being. Um, what is he? Three forty as a high schooler, and six four somehow. I don't know how he's a three three star recruit. Like also, have you seen the photos of that guy? Not only is he big, he looks like he's like he doesn't look like just fat. If that makes sense, like he looks built. Like I love seeing the commitments. I don't get terribly excited until they sign. That's. I mean, that's fair. But if there's one thing that uh, you know, Rich Rod was pretty good at getting guys interested in the silent commits and even verbal commits he was less good at getting them to stay committed oh fish has done a pretty good job of <laughs> that that yeah. that's where i was going fish has actually held held firm on most of those commitments but uh also i think you know uh tui alamaka is a guy that's you know in the right system his value is incalculable because he's not going to put up a lot of stats he's a nose guard right he's a run yeah, stuffer yeah. in the middle take up blockers and you put him in front of a jacob manu 
and adjust and flow and let them go on like adjust and flow unblocked uh when you like yes oh be still my heart like that's gonna be (laughs) that's gonna be something fun to watch right um it's how you build a team it's how you build a defense yeah you and as i've gotten older i've developed the old man perspective with football if you build your team from the inside out with the lines and you don't get more central on the lines than nose guard and a, a big body that and a kid that just looks strong and like a guy that's going to battle. So I'm, I'm yeah. pretty excited about it as a three, he's, you know, rated as a three-star, I think consensus, but probably a guy that's going to add more value than your typical three-star. Yeah. So get him to campus and see what he could do. Cause again, it's Arizona getting bigger too. Just having that type of size, like NFL size, because, you know, they went through the NFL draft this last year and no one was picked from Arizona, which has happened. Like we didn't expect anyone to get drafted from their roster. That should be changing going forward. Um, as works to keep these guys, you need to win. I think like that's the big thing. Going from one win to five wins helps. If you go to five wins to three wins, that's going to be a problem, right? If you yeah. if you can go from five to six, seven, eight wins, maybe then it shows that what you're building in Tucson is sustainable. It's actually a thing, not just kind of a flash in the pan. At best, you can be a five wins club, and then you can keep these guys and maybe get a few different players that are like, okay, we're interested. We want to make sure we could you know go to bowl games and get to the NFL. Once you start doing that, then everything changes. Yep. And I think there was. Well, I, th- I don't think uh, there was, some, you know, there was, we don't know the names, but there was also some other, another commitment probably from last weekend's visit that we Oh, yeah, because there's been hear. some recruiting weekends, um, yeah. official visit weekends that Arizona football's been doing, and it's a lot of cactus, a lot of jetfish cactus coming out. Yeah, and I think there's another big one coming up, uh, you know, this coming weekend on the 10th and 11th, there's a big, there's a big quarterback coming on campus, uh, you know. So it's it's a pretty positive sign. I can't and I can't remember. Did we have uh, the? Did we talk about the cornerback transfer in in our last pod? That, I don't believe so. Uh, I'm blanking on the name, but I'm just remembering that you know Isaiah Rutherford went into the transfer portal, leaving the roster uh, a couple days after. Um, let me find the guy's name. It's escaping me at the moment. Um, it seems like the guy that's basically just going to be good cornerback depth uh, to go along with Ephesians Prysock and Taco Davis. Uh, Let's see. What's his name, Adam? We should have prepped this show, but we don't. Well, I know what you're talking about. This is it Devin Wyatt. Uh, yes, that is uh, kind of a you know basic three star corner kind of thing. But you know, more depth drink uh, at a position where you don't necessarily need a starter talent, but you want somebody that can come in and play and fill in if one of the mm-hmm. young guys needs a needs a break. Um, well, in the and- Pac-12 too, the way that conference likes to throw the ball, like you need players who can defend in this you know back end. So. And the more options you have there, great. We mentioned uh, Arizona hired a new pitching coach, uh, the baseball team, softball guy, a new pitching coach too, Christian Conrad. Uh, seems to be a pretty highly regarded coach as well. I like it. For the same reasons, kind of like I like Chip Hale moving on from Dave Lawn. It's the loyalty, right? Because Taron Mowat was the pitching coach before, played with Caitlin Lowe, was an Arizona legend, wasn't getting the job done. So you make a change for the betterment of the program. Like they're you hate you don't want to see people get fired and you'd love for them especially alums you want them to you want them to succeed more than anybody but when a move needs to be made it's good to see a coach who's willing to make that move and yeah christian conrad seems to like a pretty highly regarded coach so that's a good move i mean i say it's a good move i, I know a ton again like <laughs> people seem to be excited about him seem to think he's a good pickup for arizona softball so if that's the case i'm on board so yeah yeah i think i think that's right i mean again i'm not going to pretend to know uh all that much about pitching coaches in women's softball but i i think caitlin Lowe has has enough uh of a honeymoon period that she can uh be trusted to make a good hire especially if it's you know it's hard to say goodbye to a teammate and a legend and that's one of the, the challenges of even a hire like caitlin Lowe, where if it's not working out people are more reluctant to make a hard decision but caitlin Lowe's proving that she's not afraid to do that, at least for, for people on her staff. So hopefully it'll uh, pay off next season. Yeah, hopefully it will, because as we all know, pitching is what wins. <laughs> That's yep. usually across any sport on a diamond. Pitching matters, and especially true in softball. Um, switching back to basketball, looks like Arizona men are going to be playing Purdue this season, added another Big Ten team to the schedule. So it's like they're not moving to the Big Ten, but they might as well be with the way this non-conference schedule is shaping up. So that's, I like that though. I do. I don't think Arizona's non-conference has been bad the last couple of years, but like you make this schedule because you think you're going to be really damn good. Like you're not going to these games and thinking, oh, we're going to lose three of them. Like you think you're going to win. Yeah. And I like Arizona being on that stage, showing that they're not afraid of anybody. It could be, 
uh, an unintentionally hilarious storyline if like if the the realignment stuff was all breaking loose during the season next year and Arizona's like figuring out if they're going to stay in the pack go to the Big 12 and then just give a middle finger to the Big 10 teams and just roll through all of them and be like we don't need your stinking <laughs> money is that is that too petty of me no, I mean, I, I think Arizona should just want to win these games anyway. They've done pretty well against well, the Big Ten lately. Sure, I want no. to say, you know, but it would be it but would be a f- I like the scheduling. I do. It would make for, it would make for some fun Twitter conversation. I guess is what I'm saying, oh, Adam. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, it would. If Arizona's being the best team in the Big Ten and they're not even in the Big Ten, <laughs> they do to they do to Big Ten basketball what San Diego State football did to is that. What it was like San Diego State basically won the Pac-12 <laughs> yeah, when they beat year. everybody like two years ago. <laughs> Yeah, basically, oh. if you could do that, that would be that would be swell. Um, Jordan Geist won the NCAA championship in shot put. Awesome. Right, congrats to Jordan. Bear down, always. Um, but you mentioned it too, Brett. The realignment. Robbie Roberts was on TV, talked about the realignment. Like, what, where, where do you stand on that right now with, with the Pac-12? Do you have any strong opinions on what Arizona should do? Or, you know, I, I guess we don't know everything still. Yeah, it's hard when you don't really know what's going on. Um I don't have any hot takes or super strong opinions on this. I do find it that I think that there's an opportunity for Arizona and the Pac-12 schools to actually thread the needle here really intelligently, even if it means holding the pack together for even just a couple of years. Because like ESPN has talked about how they're going to move to all streaming in like four years. And that's one of the reasons why it's like complicating the bidding thing here. You know, I'm actually mildly on the side of take the money and just put it on Apple TV and everybody can complain about the exposure, but like it's heading that way anyway. Oh no, then I'm going to be able to watch the Pac-12 games. That'd be such a change from... Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right now. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm of the opinion that the Pac-12 should have just stipulated that, that the Pac-12 app was something they could sell for $5 a month to whoever they wanted, regardless of the TV platforms, and it would have been a better deal for them in the long term, but here we are. Um, you know, I... It's, I saw something where like the numbers being floated are like the same as the Big 12. And if it's the same or similar, I don't think anything's going to happen, at least for a couple of years. But I think that I think it's going to be a short term thing because I think when everything goes to streaming, then it all gets, you know, tossed asunder again. Yeah, I think what worries me and like I'm kind of on the side of go to the Big 12 just because that seems more stable to me. Like, you know, who's in the Big 12, like the Pac-12 is having to they're already going to lose two of their big teams. Like, so you're bringing on San Diego state and SMU or something like, does that really move the needle? I don't know. But whereas like, to me, I'm like, Oh, the, the big 12, look at this, look at the rivalries that could be there. Look at the basketball rivalries, especially that'd be a lot of fun. I do think the most interesting thing that Robin said this week, and I don't know if it was, I don't know where he said, but I saw it was that he said that them and ASU don't have to be tied together. You know, obviously we kind of assume that, that Arizona is, I'm not going to be all dump base. You know, I, I like them being together. I do, you yeah. know, that's their, our in-state rival, right? That, that's ASU. That's Arizona ASU. But that if ASU is like, we're staying in the Pac-12 and Arizona's like, well, the Big 12's a better offer. We're going to be better off there. They don't have to be like, they don't have to drag ASU with them. They don't have to be held back by the ASU either. And vice versa, right? So I do think that's interesting. It may not matter yeah. to your point, Brett. Like nothing may change here, especially if the numbers are about the same. But to me, that that's one potential hurdle that doesn't exist if Arizona was to want to move conferences. Well, and you, you bring up ASU, and a lot of the reasons we're here is because of ASU and their president, Michael Crow, right? Oh, well, Larry Scott, yeah. <laughs> and that guy was the, the the biggest apologist for Mike uh, for for Larry Scott of, I almost said Michael Scott. I mean, that was about the same. I mean, Michael Scott at least, you know, cared about his people on the, at some <laughs> level. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure I could say that about Larry Scott. Um, so, you know, Maybe maybe Michael they set a few plays out and uh, let the let the other people make a strategic decision for the the conference. Um, I'm not, and I'm I th- I think I slightly like I said I think I would all else equal I think you hold the pack together and then I'm very like I think that could happen and then maybe the most likely thing is another realignment in four years is what I think is probably most. You just likely. don't want to be left the one left you know hold without your shoes on or something right? Well, like you want you want to be proactive if you can and that's definitely yeah. my concern. But we're that, not we're not Washington State and Oregon State. They're the most at risk by a you, wide you'd, you'd think, you'd hope. But that but that'd be my one concern is that like you have an opportunity to do this and if you pass if you let it pass you by, then where are you? You know, especially with the way sports is, you know, money. That's what it is. And if Arizona's in a conference that's not making any money or they're having trouble there, 
then that hurts them and it's hard to recover from that. Yeah, so, but it's it's, it's not just know. about that, though. It's also about recruiting foundations for oh, all sure. the sports um, sure. and where parents want to be able to watch their kids' games at not a crazy time or no, that's why regional conferences make a lot of sense <laughs> yeah and like you see I mean, they're not might exist anymore but that's why they make sense did you, yeah. did you see like the ucla and usc football schedules and like they're gonna really not like all these long east coast travel games and that's just for football it's gonna get worse for the smaller schools or the smaller sport programs where like those are already net negative and they're gonna be pulling kids out of classes and flying six yeah. hour flight like you know, L.A. to Rutgers in New Jersey is not a short flight, friends. And that's, that's good reason to try to stay the Pac-12 and want the Pac-12 to stick together. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I'm with you there. I just I just don't know if that's going to be the right play. And I hope that if it's not the right play, like, the right play doesn't pass them by. But I'm not in those meetings. I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know the numbers. I, you know, I just want what's best for Arizona. And, you know, part of me thinks that would be the Big 12, but I don't know. I mean... If if Jed Fish gets his statue built in the next couple of years and Arizona, you know, wins the pack and suddenly their football value goes up, maybe the maybe then the Big Ten is an option for Arizona, right? <laughs> I mean, a boy can dream. <laughs> Big Ten West. We start like relocating most of the Pac twelve, like the teams and programs. Yeah, that'd be something. <laughs> well, Brett, do we do we have anything else here? I know we've had a good show today. Like, do we have anything else we want to talk about and get into real quick? Uh, I think that's it, though I'm I'm trying to remember if there was anything else since, I, how, since the last time we uh, we talked. I feel like there was a women's basketball commit, but I, I, I may just be misremembering the time. I feel like there's always been a women's basketball commit. Dean Barnes has done some work. <laughs> yeah, she's she's she she is ABC always be closing uh, with recruiting. Yeah, no, Arizona's in good hands there. Like I not don't always talk. Was it Skylar Jones? Is that the one? Because I think did, I think we, that might have been. Yeah, that's the most recent commit, and I don't know if we talked about her, but you know, four star wing. I think she was a Missouri commit at one point and then flipped to Arizona. Cool. Works like, no, that Arizona women's basketball. I do think we talked to PJ Brown a couple weeks ago. I do think that Adia Barnes, there was this fact, like when they got to the championship game, it opened up all these new doors and windows for recruiting. And it's kind of like Sean Miller when he had met elite eight run. It's like early on, it's like, oh, now who can we talk to? Just because you can talk to those players doesn't mean you want to, doesn't mean they're the right fit for your program. So you kind of dial it back a little bit like, okay, we can talk to these guys, but let's let's be more picky about it. Let's find the right fits for us. Not just the talented players, but the right fits. And I think that's where Adia Barnes kind of swung the pendulum back to making sure that, yes, they're getting really good players, but they're a little bit more choosy about who those players are and creating a better roster culture, a better roster that they, you know, she can manage and coach up to get back. Because, yeah, last couple of seasons have not ended deep enough into the tournament as we were hoping, but I'm still confident she can get them back, you know, pretty deep into the NCAA tournament. Um, I'm with you on that. I'm Team Adia, give her a lifetime contract. I'm okay with take it. it. <laughs> if she'll take <laughs> it. So, but I think that's about that's gonna do it for us this week. Um, again, thanks to Evan Miyakawa for sharing his insights on his on his system. You can check him at evanmia.com. By the way, that's where you can find his work. Um, yeah, I guess there's huh, sports are the spring sports are basically done. Right? I don't know if there's anything else going on, but obviously anything that happens with Arizona athletics, we'll talk about. But yeah, thank you for listening. Of course, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Spotify. If you're on iTunes, there's a rating and review. We will read the review on the air or on the Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ. But yeah, thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week. And until then, remember to bear down. Bear down. <laughs>